Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's great to be here with all of you again. Before I welcome my guests this evening, a brief reminder to stay with us during the breaks to catch the latest news and information from our watch team of on-air contributors. We are so grateful for the support of these corporate partners and women who keep us up to date on what's happening in their industries. So I want to give a big thank you to them. As we continue to expand into new markets, we are always looking for additional corporate partners. So if you're interested in being a part of the show, feel free to email our associate producer, Taylor, taylor at womentowatch.net. And don't forget to download the podcast each week and sign up for our newsletter at womentowatch.net to stay in the loop uh, on all things on the show. So now I am very excited and honored to welcome to the show this evening, Melissa Skoog. Melissa is the founder of Skoog Company and co-founder and owner of The Juggle. And we will be talking about both um, in just a few minutes. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm so I'm so appreciative to be here. This is wonderful. Well, I'm looking forward to to really digging in and, and sharing your story. And I understand you're joining us from Charleston today, so it's nice to know you're traveling again. <laughs> yes, I'm here. I it's I'm here for business, but the the pleasure is that I get to stay with one of my sisters who lives here. Part-time, oh, nice. So very nice. Very yeah. nice. Um, I wanted to start and have you talk a little bit about the community that you grew up in in Hinsdale, Illinois, and just describe what that town was like. So Hinsdale is definitely an affluent community. It was, um, it's about 17 miles west of Chicago. So it's considered a Chicago suburb. And it was a place that 
for all lack of uh, other ways of describing it, it was kind of like a Mayberry type town where we had the nice central town. I rode my bike everywhere. I, I don't even remember really having like a lot of adult supervision, I feel like as a child, <laughs> you know, where it was just kind of expected I would somehow get to soccer practice or swim class or whatever I was going to in the summers and whatnot. So it was just a really like typical Midwestern suburban town. Yeah, I can relate to that kind of, you know, being out and about and just making it home for dinner. Yeah, and that's exactly. all our parents know, right? Um, I wanted I want to share a quote, um, something that you shared with me, because I think it speaks a little bit to um, the little girl that you were. You said I was severely bullied in grade school, which had a long lasting effect on me mentally and socially and has been something I've worked tirelessly on throughout my life to overcome. Um, I have two questions for you about that. First of all, what was the bullying about? You know, what was happening? Um, and then how has that affected your career even so many years later? Yeah, it, it's really, I think it's affected my relationship with women in a lot of ways. But um, so ironically, when I was living in San Francisco in my later 20s, um, I started dating somebody from Hinsdale who took me to an event, a party at somebody's apartment. And I was confronted with the woman who kind of spearheaded my bullying when I was 28 years old or 29 years old. And she told me <laughs> what it was about. So I can actually tell you because she actually first person told me. Um, I have, I've always been tall and I'm, I'm five feet 11. I was five foot eight by the time I was in the sixth grade. Um, and, you know, have, I guess what you would call an outgoing personality or, you know, a, a strong presence. And um, the way that our elementary schools worked is that they were kindergarten through sixth grade. And then junior high was seventh and eighth grade in Hinsdale at the time. It's now changed. It's now a middle school. And so all of the elementary schools converged into the junior high. And when I got there, um, we, I just kind of quickly fell into a pack of a really big group of um, boys and girls. And I, I felt popular, if that makes sense. And yeah, we just yeah. felt like we were one of the cool, you know, you we had cool your kids. gang. Yep. Yep. We had, we had our moment. We had our big group. And, um, one day I, uh, walked into school. I was feeling amazing. I felt so on top of the world. I had made this incredible, huge group of friends. I felt very accepted. I felt very um, a part of everything. And I walked in one day and said hi to people. And it was as if I didn't say anything. And I just thought, oh, that's so, why are they acting? That's so weird. And I went to my locker and then you know saw some other people. And everyone literally pretended like I didn't exist. And nobody would talk to me. And I didn't even know what was happening. And then this went on for days. And then the bullying started. And um, I found out later, the reason why they did it is they felt that I was prettier than them. And I was uh, funnier. And I had a lot going for me. And they were jealous, and they wanted to take me down. And it wow. was it was really that simple. Wow. So um, they scrutinized me, they up. So that was pretty much you know, the later fall. So it was the entire year of my seventh grade. I was suicidal at one point because they had found me um, 
I used to run to the nurse's office and hide in this little room. And then I, I can still see two of the women, which obviously I'm not going to name, but standing outside the door, giving me the finger and telling me that they hated me. And, wow. and so I had nowhere to hide. And I, and I just thought, well, death seems like the practical idea. And I never tried to harm myself, thank God, but my talk, I talked about it because it was so painful. I just felt like an alien. And eighth grade, I made a, my first friend and she had moved from Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky. And she was unbelievable. We had a, a photo class together, a photography class together, and she became my friend. And then we started to create a small group of friends. And so that led to eighth grade. Um, all of the girls that real, you know, thought that they had gotten me because I had no friends. I wasn't allowed to sit at tables at lunch. I mean, it was, I was completely isolated all through seventh grade. Um, and now I had made a friend and they were jealous. And so then they started rumors that we were lesbians. They were spray painting walls saying that we were lovers. You know, it, it was just, it just went on and on and the ridicule. And so my parents ended up moving me to ca private Catholic high school in LaGrange Park and ironically had the best experience in high school I could ever have had. And one of the things that I had to overcome as a, you know, middle-class, upper middle-class family in, in Hinsdale, certainly not the wealthiest family by any stretch, um, working class. Uh, my parents had moved there when they were very young from another suburb because my mother and father wanted to give, I have three siblings that are nine, 11, and 13 years older than me. So it was a huge stretch for them to move to Hinsdale so that they could make sure that we had the proper education and um, cultural influence and, and, and we had every chance we could in our adult lives. And so that's why they did it. Um, they sacrificed a lot for themselves to have us in Hinsdale. Um, but yeah, so they ended up moving me to Nazareth Academy in, in LaGrange Park and uh, I had to prove I wasn't a snob to everybody because they were all from more like from LaGrange, Cicero, Berwyn area, a little closer to Chicago. And they were all like, oh, you're from Hinsdale. You must be a jerk. You know, and I was like, I'm not Jeez. a jerk. I promise. Like it was, it was, oh my it was really funny. So, yeah. I mean, that didn't last very long. It was just a very accepting, very loving, really incredibly warm and wonderful high school experience. So it's incredible to me listening to you tell that story a couple of things um first of all how vivid it is all mm -hmm. these years later right mm -hmm. that pivotal moment and how we talk on the show about gosh how can we help girls have self-esteem at a young age and be confident and yet when they do there's pushback you know from mm -hmm. other kids so it's it's really a dilemma um when we come back, we're going to go into our first break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your mom and her influence on you. And um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about how um, what, what happened to you when you were young still can appear, you know, mm -hmm. all these years later as an adult. Stay with us. I'm joined by Melissa Skoog, the founder and president of Skoog and co-founder and owner of Juggle. Stay with us for our watch team and we'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Your liver has many important functions, filters toxins from your bloodstream, metabolizes medicines, lipids, cholesterol, it makes clotting factors, and you only get one liver. There's no dialysis or wheelchair for a diseased liver, so let's talk about how you can protect the one you have. 
This morning on Your Radio Doctor, we heard from Dr. Dina Halegua DiMarzio, a liver specialist and director of the Fatty Liver Center at Jefferson. Fatty liver, the most common liver disorder in the U.S. and the most common cause for liver transplant. Risk factors? Obesity, especially extra weight at the waist. High cholesterol, type 2 diabetes. Listen closely, not just diabetes, but pre-diabetes when sugar levels begin to fluctuate and you're not yet taking meds. How do we suspect fat in the liver? Routine blood tests can show an abnormal liver function test. Now you might say, well, my liver test is abnormal because I take a statin med or other common meds like tamoxifen for breast cancer, amiodarone, a heart med, or methotrexate, cancers, arthritis. Maybe so, but you could also have fatty liver at the same time. So we check an ultrasound easy, pain-free test that looks for subtle changes. Why is it important to know? Because fat can sometimes lead to inflammation, which can cause cirrhosis, a serious condition that markedly increases risk for liver cancer. The good news? Catching it early can lead to reversing the early liver damage. Weight loss is important, but don't be frustrated. As little as 5 to 10% reduction can clear the fat. Don't just count calories and eat less. It's what you eat that's important. Dr. Dina recommends, number one, the Mediterranean diet. Eliminate sugar and processed foods. Two, exercise. Even if you don't lose weight, it builds muscle, which uses glucose and keeps it from turning to fat. Three, if you have diabetes, get your sugars under control. Don't be fooled. Alcohol isn't the only thing that causes cirrhosis. And not just diabetes, but pre-diabetes can cause fatty liver and worse. Listen to the entire show on yourradiodoctor.com. Because divas, when it comes to medical information, we deliver. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined this evening by Melissa Skoog. And uh, by the way, M- Skoog, uh, Melissa is the founder and president of, is a boutique marketing firm in Chicago, based in Chicago. And she's working on uh, another project called The Juggle. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later. It's a platform for women. Um, a private membership platform for women to connect with mentors, other women leaders in their industries, um, and really help with self-care. I want to talk about your mom for a little bit. Um, Your mom, by 24, was married with three kids, uh, but later in life went off and received her master's degree. And that's always impressive to me that, you know, someone who kind of put off their own dreams for a little while ends up going and doing that. Um, What example was she for you? Uh, My mom was wonderful. Unfortunately, um, she lost the fight to breast cancer about, it'll be eight years in January. So I I will be speaking about her in past tense. But um, so my mom was just this powerhouse in my opinion, because I also only knew her as a working mom. So we kind of laugh. I'm here with my sister who's 13 years older than me here in Charleston. And we were having a conversation last night about her upbringing versus my upbringing. And we were raised almost in two completely different households (laughs) because my mother was a, you know, married at 19, had three kids by 24 and was a full-time mom until she had me at 33 and um and right after i was born she there was actually an article about her in i believe it was the tribune the chicago tribune because she was um part of a program of um adult continuing education and so she was going to get her undergraduate degree at 33 and then went on as you said to get her masters in education 
And it was completely unheard of. And especially as a woman, as a mom of four um, in, in right. the 70s. I mean, I was born in 73. So um, I've always known my mother is working. Um, she worked in nonprofit and education. Um, she's always sat on boards. Her big mission in life was around zero to five education, early childhood development, and um, really trying to help rise up both the, the mother as well as the child um, to expose them to uh, neo, you know, prenatal care and neonatal care and, and um, postpartum and really understand the huge impact um, that the years zero to five have in a, in a human's life. So my mother was just, I just knew she, she taught me that it's like, I never knew not to work. I never knew not to be disciplined. I never knew not to, to carry my own because it was just expected because she also was working. My father was working and, you know, I had to, I had to hold up. I made dinner all the time. I was like 10, 11. You know, wow. Dinner. wow. I mean, that's yeah. kind of how it was. Did you miss her or, or were you just acclimated to it and kind of, um, you know, inspired by, by watching her? Both. So okay. I, yeah. I, I, my, my siblings got the mother that was very hands-on and, you know, had the play dates and the, the whatever else. And my mother was not that mother. So she was, um, I spent a lot of time alone. So, um, I, the TV was a, a really big friend of mine back then. Yeah. And, yeah. um, but my, I was always kind of in awe. I was very proud. My mother was the first and I think to date only, um, president of the village of Hinsdale. And, um, she went on to do a lot of other civic things and she was definitely involved in the ERA and all sorts of different things. But, um, she got very involved in politics and the government because she knew that that was that that would be the only way to help create change for women and children and and her community. So that's awesome. Yeah, um, I I was curious how you were first introduced to New York because I know from a young age you were very excited and dreamt about living and being in the big city. Yeah. How did you learn about it? How so were you first introduced to it? The, the the same sister Cheryl that I'm here in Charleston with. Um, she was kind of, she was also a pioneer in our family. She was the first person to leave our immediate family. So that was, you know, between my grandparents and my cousins, whatever, they were all in the Chicago area and moved to New York City right out of college. She got a job actually in the Twin Towers and as an, in, as an accountant. And um, I was eight years old when she moved to New York. And my father was vehemently opposed and didn't end up coming with. So my mom and I drove my sister across country. Um, she took over a lease from a family friend whose daughter um, had moved out of New York. And so um, it was in Greenwich Village. It was right on West 3rd between 6th and McDougal. And if you stood on my sister's stoop, which was 123 West 3rd Street, I'll never forget it. If you look to the left, there was a raised pizza or some kind of pizza, like pizza by the slice. And on the right was a two-story McDonald's. <laughs> and, and quite truthfully, as an eight-year-old, that left a massive impression. I was like, who lives across the street from a McDonald's? This is crazy. Well, you know, burgers so on one corner, pizza on the other. I want to live here. <laughs> and then chip, chipwich sandwiches from vendors that were on the street that I just right. thought. 
this is the best place ever. And then my, my mother was very always culturally active. We had symphony tickets for as long as I knew and, you know, members to, memberships to every museum and whatnot. And so, you know, going to all the museums and going to the Frick and going to the Met and going all over and the, all the sounds. And there was a lot of drummers on the street back then that I remember as a kid. And there was a big handball court at the end of her block, too. It just there was it was such a beehive of like activity of activity and stuff and people doing things and moving. It was just fascinating to me. It just and the smells like you could smell those peanuts, those candied nuts. Wow. Yeah. They don't they don't really do that much anymore in New York. But I mean, it was it was a thing back in the. I think it says a lot about you because I think sometimes people go to New York for the first time and they're completely overwhelmed and they think I could never live here. It's overstimulated, right? But you embraced it pretty quickly. Yeah. And then I dreamt about it from that day on. I had to be there. Yeah. Um, We're going to go into our next break. When we come back, I want to talk about how you went from um, being a receptionist in a marketing firm to suddenly working with Anna Wintour in New York City. It's a great, great story. (laughs) Stay with us, and I'll be back with Melissa Skoog. And our watch team is coming up. Now, the women to watch, military watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. You know, this week on October 13th, the... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The United States Navy will celebrate its 246th birthday. And the theme of this year's celebration is Resilient and Ready, which speaks to the Navy's history of being able to shake off any disaster, such as the loss of a ship or a global pandemic, and still maintain its strength and preparedness. This theme showcases not only the Navy's readiness and capabilities, but also commemorates the thousands of sailors who have ensured our victories at sea. Now, our Navy dates back to 1775 when the Continental Congress passed a resolution to form the Continental Navy. If you can imagine, it consisted of only two vessels. The original intent of these vessels was to disrupt British supply ships. Now, 246 years later, the U.S. Navy has over 430,000 active duty and reserve sailors and approximately 400 plus ships. In addition to naval forces, the U.S. Marine Corps falls under the administration of the Department of the Navy and its maritime partner, the U.S. Coast Guard, can also fall under the Navy, making our U.S. Navy one incredibly powerful force. From delivering troops to the battlefield, to securing our trade routes, to rendering aid to areas ravaged by national disasters, the U.S. Navy is our country's global sentinel, operating 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. So I'd like to wish every Navy veteran, service member, and Navy family member a happy 246th birthday. 
Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I am with Melissa Skoog. And for anyone who's listening who may not be familiar with Melissa's work, um, she spent much of her career in the fashion industry in New York, um, working with a lot of the big names, which you would know, Prada, Marie Claire, Vogue, and as Anna Wintour's executive assistant for a number of years. Um, I know that when people hear that, they already have a vision in their head of what that life must have been like. So I'm anxious for you to, you know, give us some insights into what it what it's really like. But I love the story of you. Um, you were working as a receptionist for a marketing firm in Chicago um, soon after graduating uh, University of Illinois. And your mom did something that landed you um, that big job. Yeah. Tell us about that. So I had just graduated from U of I, as you said, uh, University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, and I wanted to move to New York, and my parents basically said, no, you can't move to New York without a job. And I was, you know, at that point, Makes this sense. 1995, <laughs> yeah, but 1995, we don't have cell phones, and, you know, it wasn't the World Wide Web just to, you know, Google and find people, so it was all about networking. I was beyond obsessed with fashion. I mean, to a it, crazy level. So I watched every fashion television on TV. I got every magazine from W to Vogue to whatever. I was so in it. I knew so much, but I never knew that it was an actual career. I, I don't know what I thought it was. I, I don't, but I, it, it never occurred to me that that could be my life. And um, I was, uh, my mother, it was, I had just graduated. My mother was trying to make me go to a, my cousin's uh, a barbecue at their house in Morris, Illinois, which is basically in farm town, like due west. I don't even know how much, 90 miles west or something. And um, I put my foot down. I was like, I'm a college graduate. I'm an adult. I'm 21. And I say, no, I'm not going. And so, <laughs> I don't have to do what you say anymore. <laughs> so uh, my parents went and she, my mom came home and it was like, I, my family always calls me Missy. So I'll refer to myself as Missy. But she said, you know, Missy, I met a girl that I think you need to know. Her name is uh, Irene. And um, she works for DKNY here in Chicago. I think she would be a great person. Well, the fast forward is I met with Irene, who introduced me to a woman in the advertising department in New York City at Vogue, because DKNY would do runway events at like Marshall Fields or whatever in Chicago at the time. And, um, so I spent the month of August after I graduated in 1995 in New York city. And one of my stops was to meet this woman, um, Nicole Tysowski and at Vogue. And I guess she kind of gave me the once over. And while I was clearly Midwestern, it was like, okay, I think she'll pass. I'll send her to HR. So she sent me to HR and, I went on a series of interviews with Condé Nast, nothing happened. Um, and they said, you know, let's just keep in touch. I moved back to Chicago with my tail between my legs. My father got me a job at, as a receptionist for a brand that he insured a company, like a little marketing company. And I lived at home and commuted into the city and was completely depressed. And about 
five months. I flew myself to Chicago, to New York, like two times for interviews with Condé Nast with various magazines, was up for a position with now the now defunct Mademoiselle magazine. And they ended up calling me on a Thursday and said, I'm so sorry, but the job that you want, we have to now fill a different position first. The associate editors quit and we can't fill this assistant position until we fill that one. So why don't you call us in a month? And I was just devastated. And ironically, so this was a Thursday, the following Monday, they called me and said, Melissa, change your plan. If you can move to New York in three weeks, you have a job. And I said, oh my gosh, okay, you know, what is that? And they were like, it was to be a rover. <laughs> and I said, great, what is that? <laughs> and they said, oh, it's an, internal, it's an internal temp for Condé Nast. So you would have a six month position guaranteed after three or four months, I can't remember what it was, that we'd send you on interviews. We can't guarantee you a full-time job, but we can guarantee you the six months. And so I went home, asked my parents, and they said, well, they're, in their mind, they're like, great, she'll be back in six months. So they're like, well, whatever you can carry and what, you know, you have to buy your ticket. And so I, I remember on my, like my fresh new credit card, I charged a one-way ticket to New York, carried whatever I could on the airplane, um, and landed at my sister's, who I'm staying with, ironically, who lived in Bronxville. Um, I lived on a futon in her living room for a little bit and then moved in with a couple girlfriends in Hoboken. But my first day on the job at Condé Nast, I was in um, training and they called me and said, we need to see you at 10, HR called and said, we need to see you at 10 a.m. the next morning. And I was terrified. I had been in New York for 48 hours. I didn't know what I could have done. Um, and I said, <laughs> I, I didn't said, even work yet. What did I do wrong? I know that's of course where my brain went, but I was like, <laughs> Um, and I sat down and they just said, so Melissa, I know this is very sudden, but Anna Winter's looking for an assistant. We think you'd be great. And I totally did that like cliche out of a movie, looking over both of my shoulders <laughs> to a wall being like, I am the only other person is you are talking, you're talking to me, right? Wow. What? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. And so because of my sophisticated sister in New York city, who was 13 years older than me, I, um, we used to go on family vacations to like Shelter Island or to Cape Cod or wherever, because my parents would want to come out and see her and rent a house so that we could be near her in New York. And that summer, I can't, I think it was in Cape Cod. We, Anna, like, so the couple, the point being is like the next day I'm sitting in Anna's office and I'm terrified because these were people that were not real. I mean, these, these are characters right. on, you know, in a, mo right. in a book and you see on TV screens. And uh, she basically asked me where I summered. That was my favorite question. She was like, Melissa, where do you summer? And I remember being like, where do I summer? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> and I just threw out like Cape Cod or whatever I did. Yeah, well, no, I said like, I think I said like shelter Island or Cape Cod. I don't even remember what I said now. And, um, and, and she kind of like nodded and then I got the job and a week later I was her assistant and that's amazing. It was yeah. bananas. <laughs> that's amazing. We have to take a break. When we, I want to know what you think they saw in you in such a very short period of time to give you that position because not anybody could do that. Right. And work with her um, and have to be trustworthy and right and discreet. And all that. Um, we will be back with Melissa Skoog. Stay with us for our watch team, and we'll be back with Women to Watch. Women to Watch. Women to watch. <laughs> 
Sports Watch. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Jen Welker, and you are listening to Sports Watch. It is so important and so powerful that we can see in places like the NBA, women like Kate Scott in authority roles, being the voice, being the face, being the person who everyone who loves the 76ers and everybody who plays against them. So, you know, you may have a little bit of that love and hate thing, right? Because you competition, that's what we have. We'll see and hear a woman's voice. It will create a new normal in that it's not outside the box to hear a woman or to see a woman in that role, but there will be generations of kids who grow up not knowing the sport or their team any other way. And let's think about the days when how powerful it is that we are talking about second, thirds, and fourths, as opposed to this is a first and the questions that are associated with that. Can it work? Will people like it? Well, you know, the truth is that it can work. It will work. And she has been working a very long time to earn this position. And I, I certainly hope that she will set a standard where she is no longer the exception to the rule, but that the rules are changing and we will look for more women to take up similar roles across multiple sports. And, you know, cheers to basketball and the 76ers specifically for leading the way with her in that role. Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Melissa Skoog. And Melissa, you've had, um, as I mentioned before, a number of roles in the fashion industry. And um, an executive assistant to Anna Winter is probably one of your most memorable. You were also VP of Communications for Prada. Um, you worked with Marie Claire as an accessories editor, I believe, um, assistant editor at Vogue. And when I look at that, I'm sure there was both incredibly exciting times and then also um, there's a troubling side to that. And I wonder if you can talk to our listeners a little bit about how that uh, played out for you. Yeah. I mean, I guess my my only thing to say is that I'm certain in these times things have changed, but I can definitely, my experience was... um, was crazy because there was a certain look and a certain way that you had to be. So I remember shortly after arriving at Vogue, I was um, asked to go meet with the booking editor. She brought me down to her office. The booking editor booked all the models and talent um, at the magazine. And she stood me in front of a full length mirror and asked me to stand up tall and straight. And I was kind of like, gosh, what's happening? Like I so naive to everything. And, um, She said, I want you to look at your shoulders and I want you to look at your hips and I want you to understand the correlation because right now they're almost equidistant and your hips must always be smaller than your shoulders. And so we're going to need you to lose some weight. Wow. And 
I remember being like, oh, oh, okay. You know, like I, I just, you know, and in the meantime, there was also, I had to wear a 90 millimeter heel and ran around Yeah, and I wasn't allowed to eat food that had any sort of smell and I wasn't allowed to be seen eating. Oh my gosh. So all of that had to be wow. hidden. Um, and so that plays with you. I was a 22 year old woman walking in and also, um, I, going back to what happened to me in, in seventh and eighth grade, I think it was a huge part of my conditioning was don't be seen, be small, Mm. um, as a tall woman. And as somebody who had, you know, I have a personality that when you walk, I walk into a room, people notice. And I, and I mean that with absolutely no, like being a jerk or, you know, a narcissist or something. I just mean that sometimes I, you know, and, um, so all of a sudden I was thrown into this world where all I wanted to be was a fly on the wall. And, but I was seen because, you know, editors in New York back then were kind of like pseudo celebrities. I mean, we were all out, we were with, you know, celebrities and, you know, all these icons and designers and everybody was kind of always catering to us. And it was, it was crippling for me. And so I really look at it as I had to run away from it all because there was, there was so much social pressure. There was so much demand and Um, it was very rigid. It was very, I mean, the women, I also had a boss that was absolutely wicked. I mean, just wicked and so selfish. And, um, you know, I, I think she, I know for a fact that she grew out of that, but again, she was caught in this like world where at 20 something, 24, five, six, seven, she was considered like this fashion icon and, you know, the, one of the most powerful women in fashion and she got married and, Anna worshiped her and like, so, but I just felt like I was back in seventh grade being bullied again Mm. and feeling really low and scared all the time. I was physically scared. And I think it was, it was from the trauma that I had suffered as a child that I just, I was, you know, through my own therapy, I've been able to correlate and understand that where these ties came from and how it really crippled me. Yeah. Um, but did it feel, um, did it all feel kind of superficial to you as well? Uh, that I fell hook, line and sinker to, I will say, I mean, I don't, I, I, it was more, it was just so over the top. Like I remember within the first two weeks, Anna had a party, um, she would have these cover parties every month and it was Lisa Marie Presley. And I walked into the room and there was. Calvin Klein, Donna Karen, uh, Karl Lagerfeld, you know, Michael Kors. And these people in my world that didn't exist, you know, uh, Richard Gere, like uh, all of these people were sitting in this room, like all banded tightly together. And I remember it was the first party I was working for, for, for Prada, for Vogue. I had to go into the bathroom and I burst into tears and I just cried and cried and cried because I didn't know how I got there. I was like, oh my gosh, how, how wow. is this happening to me? Like, you know, it was yeah. so like outrageous that, you know, I, I didn't deserve it. I felt like I didn't deserve it. I didn't feel like, wow. why, why am I here? So when, when you look back at that, do you realize today that they are just people like you? Mm-hmm. And, um, do you, you know, how does that make you feel now as the owner and founder of your own company doing something that brings you passion and joy and um, helping other women with their self-care. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I, I will say um, through, you know, fashion is definitely a, a crazy industry to be in. And, you know, there I could, I have more stories that I could ever share on a, you know, a short program. I bet. But, you know, there's, you know, and it, and it, it continued. I mean, even I could tell you stories from my Prada days and whatnot, but you know, what it all boiled down to was that at the end of the day, to your point, we're all human. And I also know incredibly wonderful humans from that time in my life that are still dear, dear, dear friends and people I respect incredibly. And also remembering that everybody there is a creative. So yes. everybody kind of has a crazy personality. You yes. know? It's like, so yes. there was, there was just a lot of personality in every room, yeah. but, um, you know, I feel like I realized that we all, we all have these inner demons and we all have, wear these faces and hats. And so with the juggle, we wanted to create a community where you can show up for yourself and as yourself to figure out what, where, where can, where can you find more support in your life as a professional woman who um, likely has many people to care for around you as well as yourself. And we really take that philosophy of you need to be whole for yourself first for you to show up for everyone else, both personally and professionally. Um, we've run out of time. I want to make sure the listeners know it's the juggle, the J U G G L no E.com. Um, go, please, please go check that out. And uh, Melissa, I'd love to have you back on. And I think you're sharing these stories so transparently and openly. I think there's a lot of great lessons in what you've been through. Great, great lessons for women and young girls. And I thank you well, for thank taking you. time to share a little bit of your life story. Well, thank you. My parting word is for any woman or little girl that may be being bullied, just remember that you all grow up never being visible. The reason why they've targeted you is because you're special. That's exactly right. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Melissa. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my conversation with Susan McPherson, the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.